Episode 9 of the Glass of Joe podcast is here. My partner, PJ Glasser. I am Joe Malfa. PJ, I am so excited about this one. This is honestly one of my favorite episodes that we've done so far. We have an incredible guest in Dan Orlovsky. Uh, first via phone guest, so that was new, but yeah. incredible guest in Dan Orlovsky. And it is our MLB season preview episode because, PJ, the four major sports are finally, finally back. It's been four very long months, more than that, actually, because it was March 12th that things shut down. We haven't seen one of the four major sports since then, so over four months. But tonight, Yankees, Nationals start things off, and baseball is back. It's new, it's different, it's 60 games, but it is back, damn it. And next week, the NBA is back, and the NHL is back. As we're speaking, uh, the NBA is having their first scrimmages. I just saw Paul George pull up for a nice fadeaway against the Magic. I saw Bull Bull, who everybody forgot about, yes. dribble the length of the court and knock down a three at seven foot two. Uh, PJ, I'm so excited, man. It's just, I can it's see that, though. You seem pretty happy. <laughs> Look, it's episode number nine. Nine's my favorite number, so we had to come strong. We got a great game. We, we got a lot of good conversation, so I'm excited. Like you said, baseball's back, hockey, NBA, they're on the horizon. Football, hopefully having that in the, in the future in September, but, man, it's good to have, have baseball back. I said it last week. We're a sports podcast. We haven't had live sports exactly. to talk about except for now golf. we do. Some soccer and now we're finally getting and look before we get into our because this is the 2020 america in which we live so you have to have the little asterisk disclaimer um we don't know that they're going to get through 60 games we don't know that playing the season at all amid the circumstances is the right decision but they're doing it yep. and we're going to evaluate it as we would if it were march 28th and we were getting set for real opening day um so that's the disclaimer. Don't know there if they're going to get some encouraging it. signs, though. The NHL had like three players test positive or whatever. Yeah. The NBA had nobody. None. MLB have only had a hand few handful. Yeah. So the bubbles are definitely working. It's working. MLB uh, doesn't have one, though. They're traveling. That's why I say we don't know that we're going to get through six. And again, yeah. don't know if it's the right decision, right. but it's the decision they made. And it's what we're going with. Until they stop our, it, we're going to enjoy it, right? Exactly. We've <laughs> got our season preview on tap, ready to go. We'll start with the AL. And I'll save the time as far as giving all of our picks, me and you. And let's just uniformly say for the AL, seed one through five, meaning the three division winners and the two wild cards, we agree on all of them. Yep. Uh, so, you got the Orioles at the top too? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, so we agree on all of them. Uh, and we'll go through them now, but we do agree on all of them. So no dissenting opinions from us until we get to the postseason bracket. Then you and I differ a lot. But we'll start with the AL East. You're going to have a lot of people picking the Rays, but you and I both, we go with the Yankees. Yeah, we do. And I mean, there's not a lot, not, there's not a lot not to like with the Yankees. As long as they stay pretty injury free, they, you know, can avoid the big injuries where guys are out for an extended period of time. There's just so much talent on that team. Their bullpen, nobody loaded. challenges their bullpen. Nobody challenges their bullpen or their lineup. Their, their lineup's loaded too. The, the question will be maybe their starting pitching after mm -hmm. Cole. Tanaka's just so up and down. You really don't know what you're going to get from him, especially in the playoffs. And then who's their number three guy? Probably James Paxton. But Not Louis Severino. Severino, but if he can last stay healthy. Year he came in late because of the, uh, the Tommy John. And now That's a big we question. haven't really heard much about him. So. so, again, because the season is shortened and 
You can go to Garrett Cole probably every fourth game if they wanted to. You can save that bullpen a lot for the postseason. And the games that Cole isn't pitching in, if Tanaka, Paxton, Severino, J.A. Happ, whoever it is, can give you four or five innings, they just turn it over to their bullpen. Yeah. They're going to win a lot of games. The lineup, I mean, Judge, Stanton, Torres, they're loaded. But The problem is, like you said, the, the, the health is the issue. The health. Because you've got seemingly every year for the last couple of years, even when he was with the Marlins, Giancarlo Stanton gets a random – groin or oblique pull that sidelines him for three weeks mm-hmm. judge has had issues with his lat his yeah, shoulder Sanchez his too, their catcher has concert Claver torres has been kind of like the main guy they've relied on but and duhar who they're going to rely on now coming off of a season that he just missed um the list goes on as far as as guys who have nurse nurse injuries dj lemayhew was just getting over uh testing positive for the virus so you have all these guys and as we've named all those names, you can see just how loaded their lineup is. Um, Mayhew was their best player last year. I mean, incredible. he was a consideration. MVP consideration. Team. And you list all those names, and he's probably the fifth guy you think. Yeah, yeah so, exactly. So there's, there's a ton of talent. The Yankees and the Dodgers are on this collision course. Yes. Um, but because of the injuries, because of the holes in their potentially in their starting rotation beyond Cole, I'd say that of the two, the Yankees and the Dodgers, the Yankees also being in a tougher uh, American League, I'd say they're the team that is more likely to falter, but I would agree. guys the limit for them. I mean, forget it. If, if you got all those guys in the, in the rotation clicking beyond Cole, if the batting order stays healthy, considering that it's a 60 game season, forget it. I mean, there's no touching them. And, and something that we talked about off the air though, and not just for the Yankees, but for teams in general is in a 162 game season, you're cool with having a player take a day off. If he's got some minor injury that's nagging. Problem, though, and this is something that applies directly to the Yankees, in a 60-game season, if Giancarlo Stanton wakes up and says, my oblique's bothering me, are they going to take that same cautious day off with him or are they going to run him out there because it's 60 games more important and could that lead to more injuries? So that's why the Yankees, in my mind, there is some hesitance there just because, again, just you don't know with the injuries and they have the track record of the injuries. But, I mean, they – if anybody picks against them, it's just because you want to be trendy with the Rays. I do like different. the Rays. The Rays are a wild card pick for me, but there's no picking against the Yankees, if all things being help. equal from day one. You bring up a great point about how I, I think, too, to watch with the Yankees and all of Major League Baseball is when you have a 162-game season, guys get hurt. They'll take a day or two to give themselves rest. Now in a 60-day sprint, Every game is so important. Guys may try to push through some pain, aggravate certain injuries, and all of a sudden an injury that really you could have sat out two, three days for, now you have to sit out a week, yep. 10 days for, and that is huge. A 15-day IL stint this year is costing you almost a quarter of your season. <laughs> I mean, so especially with the Yankees, you talked about all the injuries. It'll be big with every MLB team, but especially with them because of how much expectations are on them because of the history of so many players on their team who have these little injuries that they get throughout the season. It'll definitely be something interested, interesting to watch, but they're definitely the favorites. Going from the East to the AL Central, we both like the Twins. The Central, you can throw the Royals and the Tigers out the door. <laughs> yeah. The Twins and the Indians are going to probably be the pick for most people. The Indians still have a very good team. Lindor, Jose Ramirez leading the way. They got some nice pitchers in that staff, even though they lose Corey Kluber to the Rangers. 
And then the White Sox are kind of the team that I look at as like the Padres in the NL, this kind of young, up-and-coming team, a lot of stars. It stinks that they don't have Kopech, um, but still a lot of good talent, especially in their lineup. I mean, they, they can hit a little bit. Giolito had a great year for him. We'll see if he can build off of that this week. And just like the Angels and the fact that they're kind of the team in L.A. that nobody talks about other than Trout, the White Sox, I mean, nobody talks about them, especially yeah. when you're talking about the Chicago teams and comparing them to the Cubs. But I like Minnesota a lot. Um, this is a 100-win team from last yeah. year. People forget Josh they Donaldson. won 100 games last year. 101 games they won, actually. 101 games. Jose Barrios is one of the best pitchers that nobody talks about. And their lineup, not as many stars as the Yankees or the Astros, but a lot of good, productive players. Keep the line moving. Keep the line moving. A lot of depth, too. And, you know, if guys do get injured and maybe they have to sit out, Minnesota doesn't have that reservation where the Yankees do, where they can go to other guys who they're comfortable with, can play a game for somebody if they're hurt. And uh, I think Minnesota's a really good team, and we both like them. Yeah, I've got nothing to add to that. Everything that I think, again, the, the AL, the boring part is a regular season because we agree on anything. So I have no dissenting opinions to that. Um, we move on to the West. Same thing. <laughs> Same thing. We both agree on the Astros. And the West, though, is a little different, a little more interesting because um, the A's are a trendy pick. And, again, I think they're just that, a trendy pick. Yes. Uh, the Angels are a legit trendy pick in that people are kind of building up steam behind them. They get Otani back. They got Anthony Rendon. They still have the best player in the history of the sport. They have Albert Pujols still there to supply. Joe Madden more. too. I think I was the just biggest say, acquisition, honestly. That's getting what I was just going to get to. Joe Madden is still the best, for my money, manager in baseball. And you add him into the equation now, and and something we'll similarly talk about in the NL when we talk about the Phillies, or at least I will talk about when we talk about the Phillies getting Joe Girardi a roster that had some underrated talent in the Angels, plus that top-heavy talent of Trout, Rendon, Otani, he can take them to that next level. Mm -hmm. So I do like them. The A's, again, trendy, but I don't see it. None of them come close to the Astros still as far as the division stands. People hate them right now. That's understandable. But what you can't say is they're not a great team. They are – absolutely loaded in that in, in that clubhouse. I mean, Altuve, Bregman, Springer, it just goes on and on, and, and Gurriel, and pitching. They still have Justin Verlander. They still have Zach Granke. They lost A.J. Hinch as their manager. McCullers is supposed to be really good this year. McCullers, exactly. But you lost A.J. Hinch, you bring in Dusty Baker. So it's not yeah. like they went from a downgrade at manager. Dusty Baker is one of the most respected managers in the game. They have it all. As much as the fans would have had this revenge tour of booing them and the players want to hit pitchers want to hit them with pitches. They have their own revenge tour. They're pissed at all the negative attention they've gotten for months and they're going to want to come out and stick it to people and rub it in their faces. And uh, how so, big of an advantage is it for them? That there's no fans in the stands for all these games. So because so like you just said, every time they were going to go on the road this season, they were going to get booed. Every time an opposing pitcher hit one of their players People are going to stand up and clap. They don't have to deal with any of that. They just get to go out and play. Yes, pitchers are still going to hit them, but they don't have to deal with the crowd. And we I think about, it's huge. We t- and again, we talked about the Yankees roster, but all those guys that I had just mentioned, plus Jordan Alvarez, plus Carlos Correa, it just 
they're they're loaded. I mean, oh, there's a reason. Like you said, people want to hate them because they're child Tucker. If you're not an Astros yeah. fan. You don't like them, but when you just look at face value on paper, they're still. I mean, this team, if they won a game at home, they were World Series champions. There I is a reason. Garrett Cole, but they're still good. Yes, there's. I would say there's a reason why people are lower on them this year than the past couple of years. It's because they lost Garrett Cole. Yes. Again, they still have Verlander, Granke, and McCullers. Like, it's not like they don't have any. It's right. not like Cole and, they still have. Verlander won the Cy Young last year They're over good. Cole. Yeah. So they are still loaded. And, uh, again, I think just the negative perception is just because people don't like them right now and don't want to give them right. any credit. But they are still absolutely loaded. This is a team that won the World Series and has been in the CS and the World Series the last couple of years since then. And they're right there. It's just it doesn't add up to me. Actually, it does add up to me again. I, like I said, I know why. It's because of Cole and because people just hate them right now. But right. They, all, they should be the team to beat 1A, 1B with the Yankees. And you mentioned it too. Don't you think just as an athlete, like it would piss you off to hear people, even though you did cheat, but just oh, yeah. to feel like you don't have any talent. Like the reason you succeeded was because you cheated. Exactly. Like, they're Springer, like they're good players. They're going to have something to prove. So I like the Astros a lot. I agree. People are sleeping on them. The Yankees are getting all the talk, but don't forget about Houston. And then, like you mentioned in the wild card, we both like Tampa. We both like the Angels a lot. I feel like a lot of people are going to have these five teams and either interchange the Angels or Oakland. I mean, one of those. Presumably, Um, yeah. You know, Tampa's rotation with Glass now, Snell and Morton, I mean, they're they're great. Their lineup is a lot like Minnesota in the sense that they don't have a bunch of stars, but they got some productive dudes in that order. Kevin Cash, one of the most underrated managers, he, yes, he, he really so. is good at, you know, working the lineup card, interchanging his starters and bullpen guys. And then the Angels, Joe, I'm telling you, man, Joe Madden is just so good at what he does. He's so good. I, I mean, he really is. Trout. It was such a detriment to him to have Mike Sosha and Brad Ausmus as his manager. Oh, gosh. Now he finally gets a real solid, good manager. Like you mentioned, I mean, they have some talent. Trout, Rendon, yeah. Upton, Pujols, Otani. Like, they got a team. Now they have a manager to go with it. And I, I really think the sky's the limit for the Angels, man. I think they can challenge the Astros in the West. I don't think they win the division, but I do think they get that wild card. Look, I mean, the A's have talent. Again, I personally uh, don't see them matching up with the Astros. And again, I think Madden takes the Angels to that next level. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say that maybe uh, they, this division could send two teams, but you just kind of like start looking around the league and doing the math as far as the, the case to be made for the A's. It's just, I don't see the AL East not sending two teams with the Yankees and the Rays. So right. the A's could be good. They could be a game or two out. It's going to be mm-hmm. close. But I just think they end up, albeit the trendy pick right now, I think they, and you agree, are the team that is just slightly left looking yes. inside from outside. And I, I know we make the jokes about it, but they do have a slight advantage in that they're used to playing in that big cavernous stadium with no sound, as are the Rays. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that is going to take them to propel them past an Angels team that I think is going to finally reach its potential this year. So we're in agreement, top to bottom, in the AL. Yep. And uh, a little different story. And yes. And is a different story. And we start with the East where my team lies. Um, 
we couldn't really talk about your team. Sorry, because your team is just Joe. I'm just happy that it's July. It's going to be July 23rd, and the O's will be tied at first atop the AL. You're right. You know, so there's some optimism. Now, my team, though, the Mets in the NL East, that is the division to watch in this shortened season. Uh, It's the only division, I believe, unless odds have changed, it is the only division that has four teams with odds of five to one or better to win the division. Four of them. And the Braves, Nationals, Mets, and Phillies. Loaded division. They could cannibalize each other as far as thinking about who may or may not get the wild cards. Uh, The Braves, very impressive team last year. They ran a steam at the end. A lot of young guys in a sprint with last year's season in the back pocket as experience. They're elevated a notch in my book. The Mets have the talent, have the lineup, have the rotation, have DeGrom at the top of it. The big question is the bullpen. They improved the bullpen this year. They went out and got Dellen Batances. Edwin Diaz and Yuri Samilia cannot possibly be worse than they were last year. And one of the least talked about greatest relief pitchers in baseball is Seth Lugo. So that bullpen could be really, really good out of nowhere. Uh, last year, this team, I believe, led the league in, in blown save opportunities. They were in the upper 20s. Even if they would have been league average and had half of that, they would have been a near 100-win team last year. It's a very good team. People make fun of the Mets. People make fun of them every July 1st for Bobby Bonilla, rightfully so. But the talent's there. And I think in a sprint, we talk about the rotations. We talk about how important that really is. You've got Jacob deGrom. You don't have Noah Syndergaard because he got hurt. But you've got Marcus Stroman. Forget, don't forget about that deal from last year's trade deadline. You got Steven Matz. They added Rick Porcello into the mix, going from the AL to the NL, which I guess doesn't make too much of a difference this year anymore because the DH also migrated over to the NL with him. Uh, but they have all the pieces in place. And that bullpen, again, if Diaz and Familia go back to their all-star level of 2018, plus Lugo, plus now Batances, team to watch. And then all that before we even mention between the Mets and the Braves, before we even mention the Phillies and the Nationals, who I have two totally different opinions on this year. Last year, I was fading the Phillies. They were everybody's trendy pick. They put that quote-unquote dream team together, Bryce Harper, all the hype, this and that. And then they were saddled with Gabe Kapler as their manager. Players got hurt. Players didn't live up to the hype. The Nationals last year win the World Series. We were high on them. We thought that they could do well. We were surprised when they started off as slowly as they did. This year, the Nationals, and you like them a lot. This is where we disagree big time. Mm -hmm. I do not at all like the Nationals this year. Their rotation is there, sure. But I think everything is there as far as the recipe for a letdown. There's always some sort of a hangover after winning the World Series for the most part for teams. So you've got that aspect of it. Now you throw into that four months off. You throw into that a shortened season. You throw into that Zimmerman's gone as the heart of the heart and soul of the team. Yep. Uh, la- the whole you know the the fans getting in the whole baby shark thing last year. Harold uh, Parra also gone. Everything that made that team what it was last year, it's gone. Plus a World Series hangover. They still got the talent. They still have the starting pitching, but all those extra factors, I think, don't bode well for them. In addition to the fact that. You look at last year, how much of a slow starter they were. If they start like that again, forget it. I mean, they're done. You can't recover from that in a 60-game season. Uh, so I don't really have much faith in them this year personally. The Phillies are my pick. 
The Phillies are my pick to, to go very far. They are my pick to not to win the division. The, the Braves are my pick to win the division, but the Phillies are the team that I'm going to ride. And you'll see it later when we get to our playoff picks. I love the Phillies this year. I think opposite from last year where people were fading them now a year together, that roster comes together, reaches the potential they should have had without the expectations that's, that they were stuck with last year and adding Joe Girardi into the mix in the same way that Joe Madden out in uh, it, with the Angels adding mm-hmm. Joe Girardi to that mix. It's just something about the name Joe. What can I say? But you add Joe Girardi into that mix, and he takes that team to the next level the same way that Joe Madden does for the Angels. So I love the Phillies this year. Braves are my pick to win the division. Beyond that, I look at the Phillies and the Mets as challengers with the Nats fading. And then I ultimately, as, as you'll see, I do have the Phillies in the wild card, but Braves win it for me. This is the division to watch once baseball starts back up. No question. I hear what you're saying about the Nats. My thing, though, is that they're going to play 40 of their 60 games against divisional opponents. And every time they take the field, they're going to have the better starting pitcher on the mound unless, they play, DeGrom, unless they play DeGrom. Oh, okay, that's, there's your important call. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's <laughs> the only time. So – when you look at that, I mean, that, that's why I like him so much. Rendon's a huge loss. There's no question about that. Oh, yes. How did I even forget to mention that Rendon's gone, too? I'm sorry. And my whole <laughs> diatribe trashing the Nationals, I forgot to mention that Rendon's also gone. Yes. You know what the Nationals were last year is they were a Little League World Series team when there are so – it's so clear and obvious that there are two hitters on your team that are so much better than every el- yes. everybody else – you know, when you watch a little league game and there's always those one or two kids, when they come up, you're like, okay, no matter how good the pitcher is, <laughs> this kid could go yard. And that's what you got watching Soto and Rendon. Howie Kendrick's no slouch either. That's why I don't think the Nats lose too much with Rendon's bat in the sense that Howie's not too much worse of a hitter. He's obviously not the glove that Rendon is and Howie's mm-hmm. a first baseman, but I, you know, the fact Rendon's there is that Howie gave Soto and him protection. Now they need to find someone to give those two protection. They're hoping Starlin Castro can be that guy. But I still like the Nats a lot. The Braves, like you said, I mean, they're a lineup. You want to talk about young talent. Acuna, Ozzy Albez, Freddie Freeman can wake, out of bed, wake up out of bed and hit 300. I mean, he's just that kind of guy. Their lineup's great. Them and the Phillies, to me, are a lot alike in the sense that their lineups are very good, but which team's starting pitching mm-hmm. is going to be better, you know? Last year, the Braves' starting pitching, for the most part, was really good with Soroka and Fultonevich and Freed, and the Phillies wasn't good no. with Arietta and Aaron Nola was awful last year. So whichever one of those teams can be better from a starting pitching standpoint – I think has a better chance to win the East. But with that being said, I'm, I'm still rolling with the Nats. Uh, they lost Rendon, but Will Harris getting him from the Astros and putting them on the Nats to add to that bullpen, I think was a great, great pickup by Mike Rizzo, the GM. And I think they're set up to win another NL East title. So okay. we'll see. But that's definitely the best division in all of baseball, no question. Yeah, NL and- Central, we also disagree. And yeah. this, is, this is an interesting division. Uh, you can throw the Pirates out the window. They won't be any good. Get them out of here. You got the Cubs, the Cardinals, the Reds, and the Brewers. And the Reds, like the White Sox, like, like the Padres, a lot of good young talent on that team. Um, but I just, you know, I, I need to see it first in intuition. I, you know, we hear about these guys coming up, the Nick Senzels and Wamidi's whatever his name is or whatever. Joey Votto's still there. 
They got some good talent. Um, but, man, the Cubs, talk about good lineups. And, I mean, they still got Rizzo. They still got Bryant. They still got Baez. They're pitching, too, I'm a little worried about. Those guys have definitely gone down since they won the World Series. Lester's getting older. Hendricks isn't quite what he was. It'll be, and they lose Joe Madden, too, which is big. David Ross. I was just going to say, for everything that you said about Joe Madden to promote the Angels, you have to say it to take away from the no question. David Ross is a great hire, in my opinion. So, And, again, he's a rookie, so you don't know what you're going to get from him. I was tempted to take the Cardinals over the Cubs in the Central. They would have been my second pick, but I don't know. You just hate betting against the Cardinals, especially still while Yachty's still there, you know, but – Jack Flaherty is one of the best pitchers in baseball. They yep. still got Goldschmidt. They lost Ozuna, though, to the Braves, which was pretty big. They lost Jose Martinez to Tampa. That was big. Um, so I'm rolling with the Cubs in the Central. I'm going with the Reds. And it, you weren't buying their stock. I'll buy it all up. <laughs> they have probably the best starting rotation that nobody talks about. Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, Trevor Bauer, Wade Miley, Anthony Disclafani, one through five. Yeah, Good luck. solid. You know, you mentioned that the Nats only don't have the advantage for the most part against the Mets when they play the Grom. The Reds aren't going to be at a disadvantage against anybody in that division when it comes to the starting rotation. You Not the guys, the flarity, that's it. Yeah, you mentioned the guys in the lineup. They had Mike Moustakas, Nicholas Castellanos. They're loaded, and nobody talks about it. And, it, again, it starts with that starting pitching. Bullpen's a different story, but they have all the pieces there as long as the bullpen can give them something. I'm really hot on the Reds this year. I'm not talking big red machine of, of old, but like in a shortened 60-game sprint, we keep coming back to starting pitching being the most important thing. And this, this starting rotation, top to bottom, might be the best in baseball. Uh, you know, you, you look at the Nats with their big three. You look at the Mets with, well, in a year, if they would have had Syndergaard, Syndergaard with Syndergaard, Stroman, and DeGrom. You look at the Astros with their three and Verlander, Granke, McCullers, but one through five, I don't think anybody in baseball touches this, and they're going to turn some heads this year. So the Reds, the Reds are my team, and for all the debate that there is in the Central, there is zero, zero debate out West. He talked about how if people don't pick the Yankees in the East, it's because they want an argument. If people don't pick the Dodgers in the West, then they just looking for trouble. Right? Yes. Like – don't overthink this one. The Giants don't have Buster Posey, and Bruce Bochy's gone. The Padres, I get it. A lot of good young talent. They could be a playoff team this year, but they're not going to win their division. The Rockies made the playoffs a couple of years ago, but that's because everything was going right for them. They got Blackman and Arenado still. It definitely helps them that they'll start off the season in Coors Field in the middle of summer. So, Runs should be flying out of cool uh, field, but then again, they were going to give up a, quite a few as well. And then the Diamondbacks, they do get Bumgarner. They get Cole Calhoun as well, which is still not quite enough pieces, especially yeah. the challenge. The Dodgers are loaded. I mean, there's not much to talk about here. Kershaw, Bueller, yeah. you, everybody in that rotation, everybody in that bullpen, Kenley Jansen at the back end, he's got to regain his form from 2018. Um, we talk about the revenge factor of wanting to prove themselves. You know, all this talk about who the Astros really cheated out of titles. I mean, the Dodgers were right there to get cheated out of one of them too, right there. The, the main World Series in question was against the Dodgers. So right. um, from a lineup standpoint, you got Mookie Betts into the equation now. 
and he just signed himself a 13-year, $380 million contract that I didn't know was possible in these times of COVID right now. And he had people, I think Peter Gammons was saying it. Um, I, I'm sorry if I'm crediting that to the wrong, this freezing cold take to the, to the wrong person, but they said that he'd be hard-pressed to get $250 million in the current climate. He got 13 for 380. So he got pretty much just what he Better was going to buy his agent a nice little steak dinner. Right? A, more That's than good. that. So, <laughs> That's some good uh, work. He's got that deal to not have to worry about that hanging over his head. If he would have gone into the season with no deal in place, would you get the same Mookie bets? I don't know because, you know, COVID injuries, short 60 games. You don't want to risk that contract. But he's got that now. So he doesn't have to worry about that. So that could even take his game to another level. Their lineup, absolutely stacked. Again, of all the divisions, of all the divisions, you could make the case for the Rays in the AL East. There is no case to be made for anybody else besides People, the Dodgers. People, I mean, this would truly be a shock. Yes, This absolutely. would be a shock. Baseball and hockey are the two major sports where, you know, you're used to upsets and there are some surprises, but, man, it, it'll be it, – it's going to be tough to convince me that somebody else is going to win that division other than the yeah. Dodgers. I'm with you. And then the wild card, we both like the Phillies. I'm on the Braves. I got three NL East teams coming out of the NL. Honestly, it's kind of just a process of elimination. I, I look That's around fair. the rest of the NL. We just talked about the West, how maybe the Padres, but I don't think so. Phillies NL Brewers. Central, Brewers, Cardinals, Reds, maybe. But I think, I think the Braves and the Phillies are better than the Brewers. It, it'll be tough because there are so few games and so many of those games are against divisional opponents. It might be tough to get three teams in there, but I think the East finds a way to do it. They get the Nats, Braves, and Phillies. In. That's what dissuaded me from picking three in that division just because they'll, they'll eat each other up. Makes sense. Um, so I look out West, nobody there. I look to the Central, and again, it's just my pick of the Cubs, Cardinals, or Brewers, of which I just happen to feel like Brewers is the answer we saw. Them last year, they were a botched play in right field away from beating the Nats in the wild card game yep. and changing all of baseball history. Yes. They're a very solid team, and I'll, I'll go with them for that wild card spot. But it's going to be, it's going to be the I think the second wild card or the first, depending on how whatever the case is with the game. One of the wild card spots, let's put it that way, is up for grabs from the central and the central only. I agree. Um, so you want to continue with the playoff picks or you want to give the yeah. Cy Young MVP? No, let's, let's save the awards for the end. Let's go right into All the right. playoffs. So the playoff picks back to the AL. So we both had the Rays-Angels in our wild card game. We're both sticking with the Rays. Yes. We like the Angels Love a the lot. Rays. You know, that'll be some matchup with Joe Madden going up against his former team in the playoffs. We would love to see Trout advance, but – the Rays, people forget in the ALDS, they took the Astros to a game five. five. They win that game. They go on to the CS to play the Yankees. Who knows what happens? Mm -hmm. they're, they're a really good team. And Agreed. We both, we both like them to get past Anything can happen in a wild card game, but I go with the Rays, and that gives us a Rays-Yankees ALDS. Yep. I go Yankees. We talked about it earlier. Don't have to get into it too much more. We have to assume health. Yes. And assuming health, the Yankees are just better than the Rays. And – the Yankees continue historically to have the Rays number. The Rays are a pesky team. They can get it done. They can throw different look, looks at you. They have a good starting rotation. They could also throw the opener at you and, and hit you from that, uh, Definitely. that philosophy. And, and they hammered the Astros with that last year in the postseason. And, uh, you know, going back as, as far as the late 2000s, the Rays are just always there. They don't have much of a payroll. Yeah. 
They don't have Lunch the ball, baby. Gotta love it. <laughs> and they do it so, so well. They take what the A's started and the Red Sox turned into a World Series, mm-hmm. and they've made it their perpetual, perennial MO, and they do it so well. But they do. Again, going up against the Yankees, this is where this is the first spot we differ, but I go with the Yankees. I have the same mindset as you. Everyone's going to be picking Yankees, Dodgers, World Series. I doubt it happens because, especially in baseball, when you think it's too good to be true with two teams, it almost never happens. Because I just think so highly of the Dodgers and I don't see really a team in the NL that can beat them, I think the Yankees go down in the AL. It very well could be to the Twins or the Astros in the next round. But I think with Tampa, we talked about how much we like them because they're in the same division as the Yankees. There's so much familiarity there. They understand what it takes to beat them. And Joe, something very underrated with the Yankees when they get to the playoffs, they have the best home field advantage in playoff baseball. And it's gone, yep. Yankees Stadium, there's just something about it when you watch it on TV. It's a spooky, scary, funky place, especially in those late innings when the sun goes down and they won't have fans anymore to cheer them on. And that's going to be a huge, huge factor, I think, for them in the playoffs. And I think the Rays pull the upset and take down the Yankees. Fair enough. Now we agree on this next one, Astros over Twins. Not much to this one for me. After Berrios, don't trust the Twins starting rotation a lot. Uh, the Astros, they can throw those three at you, Verlander, Granke, McCullers. You can gush over the Astros lineup enough. For me, that's probably a three-game set. That's it. Move um, on. I'm with you. It's and, a lot like the Yankees-Twins series from last year. Twins were yes. a nice story, but then they go up against but, the Sorry, no. Yeah. And yeah. It's, they're overmatched. That puts me at Astros-Yankees, which is the matchup I would love to see because of all the controversy in the sure. offseason. No uh, and I go with the Astros sticking it to the Yankees again. Uh, the Yankees cannot get over that hump of the Astros. It has been the thorn in their side for a few years now, and I think it persists. I just – banging on a trash can and uh, video or Real not. Quick, here's the question. Does Garrett Cole hit his own teammates? This, That's a good question. If that happens. That's a good question during the season. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think he will. But in this series, again, it's, you know, the story of both teams. You don't have to go through it. Yep. I just coin flip, go with the Astros. They, everybody's on a quote-unquote revenge tour against the Astros. They're on their own revenge tour to prove that they're damn good at baseball. And it wasn't just because of the video that they won. It enhanced it probably for sure. Mm-hmm. No denying that. They're just a very, very good ball club. So I've got the Astros back in the World Series. And I'm going with Tampa. I'm I'm riding on the Rays. I just – I don't know what it is, Joe. I just – I got a certain feeling about them. I thought the Nats would make it to the World Series last year. I had Our boy Zach Hamilton is going to be very happy about that. He will be very happy. I just have the same funny feeling about the Rays. I don't know why. It's kind of crazy to think that they beat the Yankees and the Astros back-to-back, but – We'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, the Nats, that'd be the, the Dodgers, the Astros story. last year. So That'd be a, a big-time baseball underdog story for the that Rays be, to go and, Astros. And the year and with so much craziness, wouldn't it make sense that a team like Tampa would – you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just – I don't know. So we'll yeah. see what happens. Joe is the Astros. I got the Rays. And then the over NL. in the NL, starting with the wild card there, we both have the Phillies getting through. I yep. just have them over the Brewers. You have them over the Braves. Yep, and for everything you said, Joe Girardi over Gabe Kapler. Especially in the postseason. What's a bigger upgrade, the Angels from Madden to Allsmiths or the Phillies from Girardi to Kapler? Probably the Phillies because Joe Girardi, I think so, yeah. Uh, I think that Allsmiths never really got a fair shake out there, 
Okay. And the only reason he got fired as quickly as he did was because Joe Madden was available. Gabe Kapler was just bad. And I don't know why the Giants turned around and hired him. Um, Gabe Kapler was just bad. And Joe Girardi is just good. So uh, I think it's a, I think Madden is better than Joe Girardi, but as far as bigger upgrade, just because I think Kapler was at such a lower point than Ausmus, I go uh, with, with the Phillies situation. So give me them in the wild card. Same. the W moving on. Look to the NLDS. Uh, Dodgers, Phillies, we both would then have that. This is where we differ again. This is the point where we diverge from each other in the NL. I love the Phillies with Joe Girardi. Woo. I think there's a lot of pressure, again, on the Dodgers. The one thing that isn't talked about enough for the Dodgers every year is the pressure that's on them, and they always fold. And it yeah. starts, as much as I love him, it starts with Kershaw always yeah. collapses under does. the pressure. So it does. It's, a, it's a question mark what the Philly starting rotation is going to look like. Mm-hmm. But I just think they're very well managed with Joe Girardi. The talent is there on the pitching staff to take it to that next level, and the lineup is just great. So give me them. And go ahead and put them in the World Series for me as well, because in the other side, in the NL, uh, I personally have the Reds over the Braves, but I've got the Phillies then over the Reds. The, the, the Reds are my surprise team, beating the Braves. I, I told you how much I love their starting rotation. Yeah. Their lineup doesn't get enough credit, especially with those couple of acquisitions of Moustakas, Castellanos, in addition to what they already had. They're a very complete team for this sprint, and that, that starting five is the best starting five top to bottom in baseball. They don't have the star power of some other teams, but it's the best all the way around. The Reds are the surprise. They make it to the NLCS. I almost picked them over the Phillies, but I just go with Joe Girardi, Bryce Harper, all those guys finally putting it together like they were hyped to last year. And I've got an Astros Phillies World Series. Okay. I got Dodgers over Phillies for everything we've already said with the Dodgers. I just, I think they're the most complete team in baseball. And then Nats Cubs, I'm rolling. I'm rolling with the Nats. I, you know, they got over that hump last year when they finally broke through and won the World Series. Even without Zimmerman, I just feel like there's this newfound belief amongst them, and I just think they match up really, really well with the Cubs. Before they won the World Series, the previous times that they've met, I mean, they should have beaten them both times. And I think if they face again, they'll take care of business. So I got a rematch of Dodgers, Nats, this time in the NLCS. And I think this time the Dodgers get the better of the Nats, get back to the World Series for the third time in four years. And I got them facing off against Tampa Bay. And I guess you have the Dodgers, unless we're going for a total underdog story here. I do have the Dodgers. Okay. We've talked about the lightning in the NHL, how it's just their time. They're due. There's so much talent on that team, and they just haven't won a Stanley Cup. And I look at the Dodgers the same way. I, with Fair enough. the talent they have, there is no excuse, especially with the addition of Mookie Betts. Betts, Bellinger, Muncie, Turner, Seeger. I mean, it's insane. And then yeah. Walker Bueller might be the best pitcher in the NL, not named Jacob deGrom. He's disgustingly good. Kershaw, I think, still has a little enough a little, little left in the tank. Dave Roberts is the key to me, though. I mean, he, yeah. he's really got to manage well in the postseason. But I think this is the Dodgers' year. They're more than due to finally get over the hump. And I think that they are the World Series champions of 2020. I go with the Astros. I think the Astros over the Phillies. Or, again, it was a coin flip for me, Phillies-Reds. So whether it's Astros over Phillies or Astros over Reds, got the Astros, I guess, for, for – no further explanation needed. Loaded team. Yep. This is them giving the middle finger to everybody who was shunning them for the last six months. That's as simple as I can put it to you. It, they are on their own revenge tour. 
they want to prove that they're good at baseball and they're going to do that. And they're going to lift the trophy, uh, the quote unquote That'll hunk of metal as Rob Manford put it, but they're going to win it. And they're going to say, here, take that. There's our legit world series. Put an asterisk next to this. Mm. Uh, so I got the Astros. And now just to run through them real quick, forget rookie of the year, 60 games, who knows that the rookies are guys interchanging in and out. Yeah. yeah but just a quick run through here the, of the seasonal awards. Yep. Um, MVP in the AL for me is the easiest one. Mike Trout. From here until Mike Trout retires, I'm never picking against Mike Trout for AL MVP. Joe, if it was a normal year, I'd be right with you. But honest to God, I think it's going to be Glaber Torres for the simple fact he plays the Orioles 10 times. And That's true. Glaber will hit 10 home runs at least in those 10 games. And then right there, you got to figure in his next 50, he'll probably hit another 10 or 15. He'll be far and away the home run leader with 25 or so home runs. And I think with guys in the Yankees lineup getting injured, whether it's Judge or Stanton, he'll be the mainstay in that order. And he is good, man. He's yep. been on this steady up climb, and I think he finally takes Not over. Not a bad option. Not a bad option. In the NL, uh, you go with another youngster. I go with another more established guy, Bryce Harper. I think Bryce Harper's problem like sometimes. Yeah. Bryce Harper's problem sometimes is he gets bored. Um, honestly, I, I feel that way for Bryce Harper. He doesn't, I don't think, eat sleep and breathe baseball like some players do uh and, and i think in 162 game slog he gets bored give him and his competitive juices a 60 game sprint watching the nats just win the world series yep that short right field in in philadelphia um give me that bryce harper finally uh well not finally he, he's got one already in his pocket but proves that he was worth something at least for that contract he got last year and and he gets himself the mvp and that's why i think the Phillies make it as far as they do. I think he propels them. NL MVP was tough. I mean, you could go Harper, Soto, Bellinger, Yelich. I mean, there are so many studs. I went Acuna. I, you know, being the leadoff hitter, he gets so many at-bats, so many opportunities. 60-game season. He play. You talk about how Bryce Harper gets, gets bored sometimes. Acuna, you know, he he just – I love the way he plays. He, he hustles, and he I, I think he's going to have a big-time year for Atlanta. All right, then manager of the year, Joe Madden. Nothing needs to be said. We've both spent enough time saying Don't how much we love praises. him. For you, no. Joe Girardi, nothing really needs to be said. Same thing we've already said. Uh, the one that's kind of out of left field here is me saying David Bell for the Reds. Um, when it comes down to it, if the Reds team does what I think this Reds team is going to do and win the division, it'll be he'll they be don't have as much talent on paper as the Phillies do, and they're going to get very widely recognized as a, as a big story, and I think he gets the award. So that's why that's – I, that's why I go with him over Joe Girardi. Uh, again, Girardi is a better manager. David Bell, right man, right time. This Reds team couldn't make some noise this year. Um, Cy Young, my boys won two in a row, and Jacob DeGrom. Uh, you want to add a third to that uh, well, tri trivia question coming on later on in the show that you got. And, uh, yeah, you heard yeah, something I, I related you, to this. I gave you a little sneak peek that the trivia would have something to do with the Cy Young uh, and Jacob DeGrom is going to win it again and my thinking on this is in a 60 game season I don't think you're going to have a big gap between winner and runner-ups for these awards it's not a scientific formula who gets the award it's human voters and in a year where it might be splitting hairs between a Jacob deGrom and a Walker Bueller and a Max Scherzer I think the human side of people is just going to 
again, these are baseball writers that vote for this. In their minds, I just think the better story, the better, the easier way to break the tie is just give it to the guy who could win three in a row. So I don't think DeGrom is going to blow these guys away. Yeah. Maybe this is me reading into it too much. I don't think he's going to blow guys away. I think it's going to be close between him, Bueller, Scherzer, uh, the usual suspects. But it comes down to it, and you're like last year with Cole and Verlander, where there really wasn't much separating them. Mm-hmm. They sided with the more established veteran guy in Verlander over Cole. I think they'll be like, ah, oh, he's won two in a row. This is a great story. Let's make him win three in a row. Like, I think that could be part of the thought process. So Absolutely could be. Now, I like that. I was between Walker Bueller and Steven Strasburg going back and forth, but I went with Bueller just because, like you talked about with the Astros, how Cole and um, Berlander last year were kind of in this two-horse race. I just feel like Scherzer could cut into some of Strasburg's, you know, love and talk and whatever. And Bueller, I think this will be – people will be talking about – this is the true handing of the torch from Kershaw to Bueller. Could be. He's the guy. The Dodgers are going to win a lot of games, so I think he's going to get plenty of run support with that lineup. He'll have plenty of wins. He'll get plenty of strikeouts. He's going to have a good ERA. DeGrom's a tough guy to pick against, but I'm going with Bueller. And, and AL, I go with Garrett Cole. I think he deserved it last year. He should have won it last year. Uh, Verlander got it last year, and I think that – is maybe he hasn't let it on, but that's weighing on Garrett Cole's mind. I think he deserved it. And he's got that in the back of his mind. He's got that, the, the contract now to, to go with his talent. The Yankees are his team growing up, and he's got a chance to put it all together now. I think he's going to have a stellar season. Um, and just, again, human voters, name recognition, part of the reason why I think Verlander got it over Cole is because the year prior – there was a whole controversy as to whether or not Verlander got screwed out of it when Kate Upton sent the famous tweet. I thought only I was allowed to F my F Justin Verlander. Um, so similar to that, if it's close, I think they side with Garrett Cole as a makeup for last year because he probably deserved it last year, but last year was Justin Verlander's makeup year. So I think if he's close, it's going to Garrett Cole. And I'm going with Jose Barrios. I was telling you when I like Minnesota, I, I like him a large reason because of him. I think he's one of the best pitchers that nobody really talks about. And Minnesota's going to win a good amount of games. He was great for them last year. Cole's tough to pick against for everything you just said. I think Verlander and Granke will be great again. Um, but I just like Barrios. I got a feeling, you know, these awards – some of it is going to be chalk for sure, and then some of it could be an off-the-radar kind of guy. Out of, out of nowhere. And I think Berrios has a chance to snag that uh, Cy Young, so we'll see what happens. All right. Well, from baseball, which is finally, finally back, uh, we transition to our guest for the week talking about something in a little bit further distant future, but not too far in the distant future anymore because training camp starting next week. We've got Dan Orlovsky on to talk NFL football. Pleased to be joined this week by former NFL quarterback and current NFL analyst for ESPN, Dan Orlovsky. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing through this whole crazy time that we're seeing in the United States right now? Yeah, good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Doing great, man. Doing great. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people are going through a lot right now. It's like so many other people, we are trying to do the best that we can and trying to find ways to have fun and have joy and smile as a family and, and help people and, and you know, find, kind of find this time to get better. So. All things considered, doing well. 
Of course. And now before we jump into the big news of the week, PJ is a Ravens fan. I am a Jets fan. How good should we both feel about our quarterbacks in Lamar Jackson and Sam Darnold going through the next five years? Well, I feel a lot better about Lamar. <laughs> I like that, Dan. Yeah, because of what and who is around Lamar, you know, and, and I have been somebody who has said, you know, if the roles were reversed and Sam was on a team similar to Lamar's team when it comes to structure and talent and integrity of the organization and how well they draft, everyone would be talking about Sam Darnold in a in completely different type of light. And so you know, Lamar's a phenomenal player. He's in a, uh, a situation that totally understands what he's great at, and they emphasize that. But Sam Darnold will be fine. Sam is they're a year away. Uh, the Jets are still a year away from even being competent around mm-hmm. him. So he's going to have some good moments this year. He'll have some struggles as well. But uh, you, the, the big thing for him is to not get discouraged. He's got to constantly keep learning. And um, I think that once they get a complementary unit around him, he'll blow up. And now the big story that came out this week was the NFL officially announcing no preseason games. As a former player, how big of an effect do you think no preseason has on the players, especially on quarterbacks, like you mentioned, Darnold, uh, needing to take advantage of all the extra work they can? Yeah, it would be enormous. You know, I, I would say that team veterans will have a, a massive advantage that, uh, compared to young guys when it comes to just making the football team. And uh, listen, we've seen the start of the season play kind of diminish over the past couple of years because even training camp has been stripped away in so, so much, you know, in such a capacity that the first couple of weeks of the season have even been, you know, I would say performance wise less than ideal. And so the first month of this season is going to be, there's going to be some bad football. There's going to be some rough football going on. I, we're going to, we're going to see a lot of teams that aren't who they are, you know, and, and teams will be playing much, much better and different on in November than they are in September. I'd say this, like the hardest adjustment for players outside of getting back into your team and getting your body just back into football shape and feeling in football shape is just, I've always said this, the color and how fast the color happens. A lot of players are reactionary players and they react off color and feel. And one of the hardest things after time off for for myself and so many quarterbacks in conversation was, you know, just how it feels to be back under center and things moving so quickly. You know, it's it's two and a half seconds, guys. You know, yeah. So right. not having those, you know, in training camp, those are hundreds of reps of just getting yourself back to feeling that and almost muscle memorying that and just, again, feeling color with your eyes and seeing the color with your eyes be trigger points. So that'll be the biggest adjustment for so many quarterbacks. Obviously, the young ones will will probably struggle the most, and I think there there will be a young one or two that will benefit from it because what you don't know, you don't know. And so they'll just go out there and fly by the seat of their pants early on and, and maybe have some success because of it. There's been so much talk over the years about how four preseason games is too much. Now that we're not going to get any, do you think going forward we maybe only get two preseason games or we won't even get any from here on out? No, we will, get, we will have preseason games because, listen, this, this is because of everything that's going on and, and it's, not, it's not about the dollar amounts 
for the NFL or their players trying to pull this off, right? And right. So did this really help anybody pull it off? No, the preseason game was not going to help anybody get to December, you know? And so that was the big decision. It's a mature decision by both sides. We will still have preseason games at some point. Do I believe that this is going to be a uh, an example that the, the PA is going to be able to point to or owners will point to and say, see, we don't need any at all? No, because I do believe our the football is going to be poor early on. And so, you know, you're going to have a lot of coaches and organizations point to wanting those preseason games. Because, I mean, think about how difficult this is going to be for organizations to decide the last five people on their roster. Of course. And I know a lot of people think that the last, that the bottom part of the roster doesn't matter. It's totally the opposite. I mean, those 50th, 51st, 52nd, 53rd guys become so impactful for so many teams. And so you'll never get organizations and coaches not wanting some form of preseason game. So this is just that one-off. It's the right decision for now. Dan, moving over now to the best quarterback in the game and the wealthiest, Patrick Mahomes. I know how highly you think of Mahomes when his contract is over in 2031, assuming he stays healthy. Do you think that we're going to look at him as the greatest quarterback to ever do it? I do. And that's saying a lot. Um, I do. I, I look at it because really he should have been part of two Super Bowls in his first two years started, mm-hmm. right? Is his team going to change over the next three or four years and what's around him? Yes. Now, He's the 329th highest-paid player this year. He's the 39th highest-paid player next year. And then he's the 15th highest-paid player in 2022. Mm. So you're talking about the next three years that they are going to have still some relatively good cap space, flexibility-wise. I believe they'll win two out of the next three Super Bowls. I think they're going to win it this year. So let's go to, like, what is really going to give him the longevity? Because he could throw for a gajillion yards and it's not going to matter. Well, it will, oh, that's so good. Did you win the Super Bowl or not? That's that's just the way it's gone. Whether we think it's fair, I don't. But whether you think it's fair or not. So if you look at the Chiefs when, they're, when it comes to their draft, right? I would challenge people to go through the first three rounds of their draft and find me more than two whips. Over the last 10 years. I mean, whiffs, where you go, that guy was taken in the second round, and he stunk for the Chiefs, and he stunk for everybody else, right? Like, the last time is they got a corner in, I think, 2016 or 2017, Russell, and then they took Jonathan Baldwin in the first round of 2011. Oh, yeah. They draft really well. Like, if you go to everybody and you go, who are the best players on the Chiefs that make Patrick Mahomes so special? Travis Kelsey, third-round pick. Tyreek Hill, fourth-round pick. Williams, undrafted free agent. Miko Hartman, second-round pick. Like, these guys are top ten first-rounders. Right, So they just draft really, really, really well, and they find value in areas where you need to find value. Robinson, sixth-round pick, I believe. So just they've got a great feel for value, and they've got a great understanding of what a player can become with good development. And so – you know, you look at the talent at the position, you look at the head coach, and then you look at is the organization set up to support that? And the resounding answer is yes for Kansas City. Our next question was going to be, are they your pick to repeat? But you already answered that. So I guess the better question to ask now would be, 
uh, who's their biggest threat in the AFC and then who would be their biggest threat ultimately in the Super Bowl itself? Yeah, I would say that, yes, Baltimore is their biggest threat. I put an asterisk next to that because, listen, Baltimore's amazing and Lamar's incredible. But one of the things that made Baltimore incredibly unique last year was how they utilized their three tight end set. All three of those guys were good in the run game. So if you put all three of those guys on the field and use them in your run game, it was like having eight offensive linemen in your in your your run game blocking scheme. Mm-hmm. All three of them were good at the pass game and understanding zones. So you put all three of those guys in the field and they think you're going to run it, so they match with big bodies at the defense, then the pass game becomes deadly. And so, you know, they moved on from Hayden Hurst and traded him to Atlanta, and I just – that is one of the things I'm fascinated to see is how do they replace him and can they replace him and still be, you know, that was such a big part of keeping defenses uneasy is let alone having good play calls. They, they got you a bad personnel situation. So, you know, Baltimore is intriguing to me, of course. Uh, I, I'm, I'm somebody who thinks Buffalo is going to be really good. I think Buffalo is going to be a really, really good, difficult football team. They're not going to beat themselves. No, they're not going to go, blow you out but they're going to always be in football games and that quarterback is good enough Josh Allen's good enough where when you're in those situations in fourth quarters he can make some plays and he could do some stuff that win you games that defense will keep him in every football game so you know I'm somebody that's pretty high on Buffalo probably higher than some other people Pittsburgh to me is Pittsburgh's 8-8 eight eight last year with the worst quarterback play in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So my thing is, I look at it in comp to Baltimore. Baltimore is losing, at worst, at worst, their second-best player in Marshall Yonda. He's gone. He retired. That's at worst their second-best player, if you want to tell me Lamar's best. Pittsburgh gets their best player back. I mean, Big Ben did not play last year. He's their best player. Led the league in passing in 2018. So Pittsburgh, for me, is a team that... I look at and I go, it's hard for me not to see them winning 12 games and just being really, really hard. They've got great back-end play on their defense. They can rush the passer. They're athletic to keep up with Mahomes and his movement and their offense. If Juju becomes what Juju should become, and he hasn't done it without AB, but if he becomes that bona fide one, their offense will be very good. Now, there were a lot of big names who switched teams ahead of this upcoming season that we've pretty much forgotten about because this is the time of year where we'd be seeing images of them in mini camps and whatnot. Uh, but of those big names that are in new places, who are you most excited to see with their new team this year? Oh, definitely Tom. I mean, definitely Tom Brady. I mean, we're talking, you know, the quarterback that left Utopia in many ways. Yeah. It was one of the best places to be. And you know, consciously made a decision to move on and made a decision to move on to a team that hasn't won in forever. It's the worst organization in the history of the NFL when it comes to winning percentage and went to a place that's got a top six receiver and two top 10 guys and a Hall of Fame tight end that came out of retirement. An ex number one receiver, our first round draft pick at tight end that, you know, with a a quarterback that's got a really good understanding of the offense is going to get him the ball. An offensive line that's improved the defense that is, you know, going to be a top five, top seven defense this year. So it, I just, it, 
for him to make that leap and to chase that, and if he's able to go down there and get them to, you know, the NFC Championship or to the Super Bowl, I mean, it's going to be an incredible ride to watch. And so that's probably that's the easy answer for me is I am all eyes on Tom because to be honest with you guys, I was one of the people after the Super Bowl or after that interception got thrown. I said, one, there's no chance Tom retires. And two, there's no chance he goes back to New England. And so just kind of seeing that come to fruition, I want to see it play itself out. Dan, one more question for you before we get into our two fun segments that we like to do with all our guests at the end. Recently on Get Up, I heard you say that Tiger Woods was your favorite athlete of all time. So I was just curious what makes Tiger your favorite, and have you ever gotten a chance to meet him? Never met him. Would love to, obviously. What makes him my favorite is just I'm a guy that, as an athlete, I fell in love with the grind. I fell in love with the sucky part of it and the work and the tireless and the lonely and the thankless work. I loved it. And Tiger's done that better than anybody in, in my generation, better than anybody ever. And I love that he wanted to doorstop you. I, I love that he wanted to blow your doors off and beat the living snot out of you when it came to golf. <laughs> right. He didn't want to win. He wanted to embarrass you. And I love that mentality. And so um, his commitment to it, the way he could grind, the way you could just, you know, I'm a golf fanatic as well, but the way he would just grind when he knew he wasn't at his best and the mental commitment. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever done it. I mean, I, my guess is yes or maybe some of your listeners, but go walk 18 holes and play golf. Like It's not easy. Exactly. And now do it four days in a row with money on the line. When you can't, like, you can't hit a bad shot and laugh it up off with your boys and go rip a beer. Like, <laughs> every shot matters. Every single shot matters. And so just that mental commitment that he would make. And then I'll say this. I think it's, like, to get to the top of the mountain, I, I, this goes into life too like to get to the top and be really really good is 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 incredibly incredibly difficult but to pull yourself from the depths you know I, I say this to people who, who go through some really dark times in their lives I have such respect for people that can pull themselves out of self mistakes and when they bury themselves for being an idiot do you have the ability to pull yourself out of it and then you know not accept that and for him to do that to his own, you know, listen, he, he did it to himself, but he also pulled himself out of it. And uh, I just have such admiration and kind of love for that. At PJT's, those two fun closing segments we like to do. The first one we call it the Swift Seven. Just seven rapid-fire questions. First thing that comes to mind, and I'll start off. Number one ties into what we were just talking about. What is your favorite Tiger Woods moment? Winning the Masters last year in 2019. Number two, favorite NFL venue? Lambeau Field, Sunday Night Football. Mm. All right. Uh, number three, favorite pregame meal? Chicken parm. Number four, Sam Donald or Josh Allen? Sam Donald. Number five, what's your favorite game that you've ever played in at any level? This is uh, – give me, give me a second here, fellas. <laughs> You know what? I, since I'm a talker, I'm going to give you one at every level. So okay. All right. High school, high school football. Um, we're playing one of our rivals. My my junior year, my sophomore year of high school, we went eight and two. Didn't make the playoffs. My we lost to our rival second to last game of the year. My junior year, 
We went nine and one, didn't make our the playoffs. We lost to our rival second to last game of the year. My senior year, we're playing our rival. We're nine and zero at this point, I believe, or eight and zero at this point. If we beat our rival, we are going to win our last game and get in. Finally, great game at their place, game winning drive, got it done. Nice. That's my favorite high school game, college. I would say the first time that we played to open up our stadium at Rensselaer Field at UConn. It was the, no one, you can't go to UConn and play big time football. You guys will never be good. Don't go there. They're too small. But to open up that 40,000 person stadium, packed house, and blow the doors off a Big Den team was really kind of the marquee moment. And then in the NFL, I'd say the game-winning drive that I had on Thursday night football when I'm playing for the Colts to beat the Texans. Um, a lot of good buddies on that team because I played for them two years previous to that. They cut me right before training camp. You're not good enough anymore. Second to last game of the year, they're the three seed in the playoffs, and I threw a game-winner to Reggie to beat them to drop their playoff seed. That was my favorite one. boy, Dan. That's some good stuff. <laughs> Number six, uh, who will have the better NFL career, Tua or Joe Burrow? Wow, great question. Joe Burrow, um, they're both going to be phenomenal. Joe Burrow, I would say, does the one, the most important non-physical aspect of quarterbacking better than Tua. He never panics. Mm -hmm. Never panics. And um, I think that is going to set him up for tremendous success. And last question, the Swift Seven. What is your favorite football movie? My favorite football movie would be Remember the Titans. Yep. Um, mainly because it's also my wife's. Okay. Uh, also, the, the, the messages and the, the, the life lessons tied to it. I'm a movie crier as well, so <laughs> you moment to cry. Nice. Um, it's just just a, a lot of really cool life lessons. Almost takes you back in time to your own football memories as well. Definitely. And Dan, before we let you go, we give a trivia question for all our guests. Obviously, you get an NFL question. You'll have uh, 90 seconds on the clock and three strikes to try and get your question right. Uh, Joe, if you want to put 90 seconds. I got it. Yep. All right, Dan. And your question is, can you name the four quarterbacks from the last season who threw 30 or more touchdown passes? In the NFL. In the NFL. Okay, Lamar Jackson. He was number one. Um, Lamar Jackson. It's not Tom. Uh, I got 90 seconds, huh? Yep. Yeah, you got a minute 10 left. Plenty of time. Drew Brees? Not Brees. Okay, uh, Lamar Mahomes. No, Mahomes. Oh, that's two strikes. Wow. Uh, Jameis. Jameis is correct. Thirty touchdowns and thirty interceptions. Russell Wilson. Russell is on that's there as well. You need one more, one strike left, and we we'll just need one correct answer. Forty seconds and one strike. It's not Mahomes, huh? It's not Mahomes. No. Twenty-five seconds. Jack Prescott. Correct. Dan Orlovsky, the winner. Well done. Lamar was number one with thirty-six. Jameis was number two with thirty-three. 
Russell was third with 31, and Dak was right on the number with 30 touchdown passes. I was surprised at Mahomes. Yeah, I was surprised at Mahomes too, but, you know, those games he missed the middle of the year, I guess he just didn't make enough up to get over. What a bum. <laughs> what a bum, exactly. <laughs> well, I was trying to channel my uh, inner Hembo there for you with the trivia question, so well done. <laughs> Hembo is the man. That's awesome. Well, Dan, we appreciate it. We know you're busy. You got the new NFL Live gig coming up. Congrats on that. We can't wait to watch you. And thanks for spending some time with us talking some ball. And, Dan, maybe you can't comment on this, but I personally can. I hope to see you on Monday Night Football as well. You're my guy for that. So you, don't comment. Don't get yourself in trouble, but I hope to see that. Well, I, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. I, I share the same sentiments. There you go. All right, Dan Orlovsky. Dan, thanks again, man. Have a good one. Stay safe and uh, hope to do it again soon. All right, yep, that's Dan Orlovsky. Once again, that was Dan Orlovsky, former NFL quarterback and current NFL analyst for ESPN. Kind enough to call in, Joe, our first interview over the phone, and he was awesome. Great to get his insight. We love watching him on get up when he breaks stuff down on the, on the prompter and stuff. He's awesome at that. But I was really interested to get his thoughts on the no preseason games with that news dropping just the other day. And we kind of figure it would have an effect on players, but I thought he brought up a great point about just the effect it has on guys. You know, when we talk about the 52 and 53-man guys that make the roster, I mean, this is a chance for those guys to make their case for themselves, for all those quarterbacks to get those reps. And you feel for rookies like Joe Burrow and Tua and Justin Herbert who can't get those reps and guys who are coming into new teams, new situations, Teddy Bridgewater, Tom Brady maybe doesn't need as, well, yeah. as many reps as some of the other guys, but new team, new situation. And he was, and it's great to hear from his insight being a former quarterback. And like he said, when he drops back, you got two seconds of organized chaos going on. And to be able to not get that timing and rhythm down, I think it was a great point. And I agree that the preseason should stay, whether yeah. it's two games or four games is up for discussion. Me personally, I subscribe to the line of thinking that it should be two games and then joint practices over the last three, four years. The joint practices have become a lot more popular where you've got teams who are just coming together for a week of camp. The Texans have done it. The Raiders have done it. Patriots do it almost every year now. Uh, we all see it. It's, it's starting to become a staple of what we see every year on Hard Knocks. We look forward to that episode where there's the crossover team. And it's just – it gives – teams a chance to have more meaningful practice reps because in practice when you're going up against the same opponents every single day you know you get to know their tendencies and and you could cheat a little bit maybe you don't do it on purpose but mentally uh jj watt could say all right well well larry tunsil i know that he likes to to take a quick little hesitant step to his left uh and i can cheat and go inside on him well, that's taken out of the equation when you're having practice reps going up against, say, uh, a different team, say the Browns, and now you're working against uh, someone new or whatever the case may be. You, you get more valuable practice reps. So I'm in line with joint practices and two preseason games. But he was, I, I agree with what he said about um, and, and what you're saying. The back half of the roster, yeah. we are going to see some bad football the first month of the season. Definitely. And just think about – Think about the guys who have been key parts of their team who won their job or lost their job in week four of the preseason. 
The yeah. couple that come to mind because they relate to my Jets and I, I was at these games or at one of them and watched the other one on TV. I was at the game where Victor Cruz had the three touchdowns and the Giants said he was going to get cut if he didn't have that game. Goes on to be great for them, scores touchdown in the Super Bowl, helps them win a Super Bowl, key player for that franchise over the next few years. On the flip side of that, for the Jets, Danny Woodhead got cut after a fourth preseason game and became a key player for the Chargers and the Patriots. In that fourth preseason game, he struggled. David Clowney, a receiver you've probably never heard of, never amounted to anything. He never amounted to anything. He won the job in that fourth preseason game. And Danny Woodhead got cut, went elsewhere, had success. That, those preseason games are so important for the back half of the roster. I'm oh. very curious to see. There's going to be a lot of talent that falls through the cracks after the big wave of cuts from 80 down to 53. There's going to be a big glut of talent available of guys who have the talent, have the ability, but just didn't show enough because there weren't preseason games. You can only do so much in practice. You could only do so much going up against the same guys. Victor Cruz might have struggled going up against, uh, I guess they had Aaron Ross at that time and stuff. Uh, the Giants, uh, he, might, wow. he might have struggled going up against some guys like that in practice. But he came out and torched the Jets. So you're going to have a lot of guys who are, who are maybe struggling to show out in practice because you're going up against good competition. But – Maybe they would have thrived in a preseason game against someone else. You look, I feel bad for, for a team like the, whoever's the, the back end of the roster guys on the Browns for the offensive line. They got to go up against Miles Garrett all the time. They got to go up against all this talent on the defensive front. Uh, And you take a look at, at Arizona, you've got uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald. You got a ton of receiver talent there. So you're going to get torched a lot in practice. And you're going to look bad, but maybe you would have shut down whoever you went up against in the preseason game against uh, the, the Broncos. So it's going to make for a lot of shuffling and talent available early on in the season. But that's why, like you said, the preseason will come back, whether it's four, whether it's two. You need it. It's so important to, to shake the rust and for these players to, to make their case. Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson have the preseason to thank for giving them exactly. their jobs. Tony Romo and Matt Flynn are out of the league because of the preseason, so it's where jobs are won and lost for sure. I loved, to the conversation about Tiger. Yes. Thankfully, I was watching the episode of Get Up that day when they were talking about the memorial. They were talking about Tiger and Dan said, you know, Tiger's my favorite athlete of all time, but I don't expect him to win this week. And I was like, wow, Dan's favorite athlete of all time. And just to hear him talk about when you get to be a professional athlete, you got to work hard. When we talked to DeMatha head coach, Mike Jones, he said, guys that reach that level, there's no substitute for hard work. And he says, you will learn to enjoy the grind and wanting to beat people and not just barely get by, but just bury them, them into the ground. It's bury. Like when he was saying all that, it was reminding me of to make you run lot. through a wall. It, it was, was awesome. that part of that, but it was reminding me of the last dance and Michael Jordan. Like there's very few people who have that mentality. RIP yeah. Kobe Bryant had it. Yep. Um, but Brady has it. Brady has it. But Tiger Woods that when he started explaining it, I was like, you know what? Tiger's a lot of people's favorite because of the success. Athletes but, respect that. When, when guys have that killer instinct, that's something that they relate to and they appreciate mm-hmm. because they know how much effort and sweat, blood, and tears that that guy had to put into that. And he's right with golf. I mean, walking 18 holes, especially in 90, 95, 100-degree weather is not an easy thing. 
let alone when millions and millions of people are watching you at and millions of dollars are on the line, like he said. Exactly. And I, I just I thought that was really, really great conversation. Now, his guy Tiger, though, uh, that takes us to our next topic of conversation. They didn't have the hottest week in his return to the tour this past week. No, he did not. He, uh, he missed out on the cut. I was watching on Thursday, first hole, comes out of the gate, makes birdie, and I'm like, oh, baby, here we go. And scores at Memorial this, this past week. Oh, my goodness. The conditions, Jack Nicholas said that that was as brutal as he's ever seen it. Um, the, the greens were just so firm and fast. It was windy for most of the week. It was the pin locations were brutal. So Tiger got off to a nice little start Thursday, but, you know. And we were curious to see how the course played being there back-to-back weeks, could not have played more differently because of the conditions as well. No question. And Tiger definitely was a victim of that. Actually, I I said he missed the cut. He actually made it right on the number. Barely. Barely. Plus three. Got into the weekend. Didn't do much. It was good to see him back. He's not playing this week at the 3M Open. Um, Not a great field. You got a WGC coming up next week where all the big stars come in. Dustin Johnson, Brooke Kep- Brooks Kepka, Tony. I was surprised to see Brooks Kepka on this week's list. Yeah, because me too. He, this past week he had been complaining that his knee, ever since the 2019 surgery, hasn't been right. Uh, I thought that might have been a hint at I'm going to start taking certain events off and playing the bigger ones until he can get it fixed. But I, I mean, more power to him if he wants to power through it. I thought this was going to be one of the ones where he just sat it out and got ready for next week. I was very surprised to see his name on the list. I was too. Um, but yeah, him and DJ are by far the biggest headliners. Tommy Fleetwood, Tony Finau, some other um, notables in the field. Joe, we both had guys that made the cut last week. Shoffley Mine a lot better than Tom. yours. No, Shoffley actually the, better than Thomas. I would say early on. Early on, Shawfly, by some miracle, made that. Horrendous. He was eight over at one point in the first round. Thankfully, made the cut. And, to and get he, even, finished, he finished higher than Justin Thomas. He tied for 13th with one over, which but gives you an idea. JT still did have high, he still did have the high watermark of the weekend at one point on Friday. No, it's not where you start. It's where you finish. Hey, I understand that, PJ. I mean, come on I understand now. that. But at one point on Saturday, he was at fifth on the leaderboard. I was feeling good. And then he just – I know. His back nine on Saturday, oof. That was one of the – he had two doubles, two singles. He did have two birdies to counteract the two single bogeys. uh, But the two doubles, oh, man, he just just completely fell apart in the second half. You know, on the PGA Tour, it seems like we get accustomed to guys shooting 20 under every week. And you look at it and you're like, man, I want to go to the range, hit some balls. Watching Memorial this week, Joe, I did not want to go to the range. Watching all these pros, double bogey and triple bogey and holes. With that being said, who do you have this week in uh, Minneapolis? I'll probably go this week with – see, I was between two guys and and it – was a bit of a challenge to, to pick between the two. You, you made fun of me the last couple of weeks for going chalk with JT yeah. and whatnot. And uh, look, it, you call it chalk, but I don't really consider it quote unquote chalk unless it's like DeChambeau was a few weeks ago where he was plus 350. Quote unquote chalk that you were getting on my case for was still 15 to 1 for JT last week, which is good value. Um, like I said, between two guys this week, it was Tony Finau and Matt Wolf. Finau. He just can't get over the hump. He can't put together four good rounds. He's been one of the most consistent golfers on tour of late. 
uh, but just can't put it all together just and get the show w. for it. Yeah, exactly, true. exactly. I always feel bad for him. And you look at him to break the curse. You look at a week like this where it's not the most stellar of fields. A lot of guys are taking the week off. So maybe it's his week this week. Uh, the other guy I'm looking at is Matt Wolf. Came really close at the Rocket Mortgage this year. Put up a really great weekend. Uh, he won here last year, a chance to repeat. So he's comfortable with the course. Mm-hmm. I always like to look at that. You know, we, we've done it every week. We always look to see the last couple of years, who's like this course, who's confident yeah, here. Um, that's a big time factor when it comes to, to making a pick. And he won it here last year. He's looked good. Uh, so between the two, it's tough. Uh, for that reason, I'm going to have to go with Wolf. I sound like I'm on Shark Tank here. And for that reason, I'm out. For that reason, I'm going to go with Matt Wolf this week. Um, playing really well right now. One here last year from a value standpoint. Also makes more sense there. Wolf is plus 2,400. Fee now is plus 1,400. So you get a lot of extra value on Wolf. Um, honestly, the value is what made the tiebreaker for me. I look at Fee now and Wolf as two guys who I could have really gone either way this week, but because I'm getting Wolf at 24 to 1 versus Fee now at 14 to 1, and it was splitting hairs between my picks, I, I go with Wolf for, for that main reason. Then in the end, just the value considering how well he's been playing and how he won here last year. I like Wolf. I took him in my DraftKings lineup. This week, I don't, I don't really like anybody, honestly. You know, the big guns, Kepka and DJ, I just don't love them here this week. Yeah, like I said, Kepka probably should have taken the week off. It might have been the sensible thing to do with his name. So I'm either leaning towards Paul Casey or Eric Van Royen, two guys that are good with their irons. Van Royen made the cut last week at Memorial. Casey was plus four, so he just missed out on the cut. But this course fits Casey, a good iron player. Um, you know, nowadays on the PGA Tour, there's so many courses where guys can just drive it a mile and you can overpower a golf course. Uh, TPC, um, Minnesota, wherever they're playing the 3M, yeah. you can't do that. And uh, I, I just think Casey, it, it fits his game this week, so I would lead him. I like Van Royen a lot as well. So we'll see what happens. But, again, just not a great feel on, on this week. Uh, but if I had a play, it would be those two guys. Um, something else, Joe, that really didn't have a great feel yeah, on this only week? only two options. Was where would you go, Joe? July 23rd, it was a bunch of Tour de France and Open Championships in golf and, you know, some baseball. There were two that really caught my eye. So just two choices for you this week. But it's really just to talk about one thing. Yeah. And the two choices are John Daly wins an Open Championship in 1995, but it's at St. Andrews. So you get to see those luxurious pants and that outfit that Daly always sports at the birthplace of golf. And then answer choice B, July 23rd, Mark Burley completes his 18th perfect game. And Dwayne Wise, of course, making that catch in the United oh, what a great call by Hawk Harrelson. Alexi Ramirez at shortstop. Alexis, get ready to throw it over to first. That was, that was awesome stuff. There was a run there where pitchers had, you know, perfect games. It was Burley. Dallas Braden. Dallas Braden. Philip Umber got it a couple of years later. When it, there was really – it was almost like the triple crown, right? Like guys got oh, it. Yeah. And there, there was this huge layoff. There was this huge layoff for perfect games, and then Burley broke through and got his. and. It was pretty incredible. The stat I will always remember for that game, which just blows my mind, is that Burley spent 32 minutes 
on the mound that day. 32 minutes. I mean, guys spend that in an inning sometimes. sometimes. He spent that over nine innings, 32 minutes of actual time on the mound, and it's just – it's an incredible – And one of the stories I – first of all, spoiler alert, that's my pick. I, oh, no, I, no, no, just, no, no, yeah. Like, like it's, it's a it's – St. Andrews is great. But St. Perfect. Andrews is great. John Daly is a hell of a character in and of himself. So there is some allure to that one. But yeah. the pick is Burley. It's, there's, a, there's a very, very minimal amount of perfect games in the history of the thousands of MLB games that have been played. Um, so if I've got the guarantee to be at one, I'm taking that. But the thing that sticks out to me uh, from this game, and it, it was – I forgot if it was an MLB Network documentary or, or an ESPN feature. Sorry to credit it to the wrong person, so I won't credit that at all. It was a feature about nope. perfect games. Um, and they're just so random, man. I mean, you look at the, the great players in history who, who haven't even come close. And then you look at the names we just mentioned. Mark Burley, Dallas Braden, Hill Umber. I mean, are you kidding me? But Burley uh, – he, he said that he didn't feel like he had his stuff in the bullpen that day in his bullpen session before the game started. No. And then he comes out and throws a perfect game. So uh, perfect games are incredible. That Dwayne Wise catch, remarkable. And then, like you said, the call with Alexi Ramirez. I guess you wouldn't have heard the call because we would have been there. But um, perfect game. You picked the perfect game ten times. No question. Um, Dan Orlasi got his trivia question, the fourth guest. Maybe some good juju for us. There you go. Tied it up at two last week. Um, so would you like me to go first this well, week? I've been picking the last couple of weeks because I took that lead. I'll let you pick this week. Who would you like to go first? Uh, you can go first if you want. I'll give my question to you first. Okay. Okay. I like my question for you this week because you can use some logical thinking around it, but it's, it's, it's kind of tough. So we'll see. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> 90 seconds as always. Three strikes. Joe Malfa, your question for this week. Who are the three NFL teams who went winless in divisional games last season? So 0-6. Three, three NFL teams. Three NFL teams that went 0-6. Winless. Correct. All right. And your time starts now. Okay. So right off the bat, the bad teams last season were the Bengals, the Dolphins. Uh, the Bengals, though, I do believe had a division win against the Browns. The Dolphins, I know, had a division win. Um, <laughs> Who was that against? <laughs> um, You're 20 see. seconds. All right, all right. I've got time. Yeah, plenty of time. Um, the Broncos had to have won a game. The Raiders stunk last year, but I know that they – the Raiders? Wait, what are they No, in? not the oh, Raiders. Okay. One strike. Okay. Um, the Cardinals. Cardinals weren't good. 45 seconds, halfway through. All right. Um, the Colts weren't very good, but they have a bad division. Um, the Buccaneers were 500. They had to have won a game in division against the Falcons or something at some point. Um, oh, wait, no, they, they also beat the Saints last year. What am I saying? Um, I'll say the Cardinals. Not the Cardinals. Two strikes, yeah. 20 seconds left. Ah, jeez. This is – Tough man. Um, I'll say the Bengals. Not the Bengals. Yeah, I, I should have gone. Oh my God, I, I thought I know they beat the the Bra I think at the Browns at some point. All right, that was so. Tough. It was two, three, and six in the draft order. It was Washington, Ugh. Detroit, and then the tough one I didn't know if you would get was the Chargers. 
was that was what I think the first question that we've I, so one of us has just gotten completely over on. Yeah, I, I would not have gotten. I'm not mad that I went over because I definitely wouldn't have gotten the Chargers. Um, that was I, tough. I thought you were Washington or Detroit. Yeah, right? as I was going through the teams in my mind, I thought Washington beat the Giants. But now that you mention it, that was the game that went to overtime. And the Giants won nope, it. And, got Giants, Young. Yep, and that's the game that they got Chase Young. That's exactly so now, right. yep, that was it. So, like, a little different question. Maybe, yeah. maybe a little hard side, but. Okay. All right. Go. Mine for you. I yep. got baseball. Yep. Big baseball preview we just had earlier. Love I said it. that Jacob DeGrom is going to three-peat as the Cy Young Award winner. So I went back through a little history here. Yep. A three-peat for the award has only ever happened twice. Uh, actually. Well, I have it up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There are only ten people who even have three. And then among the ten that even have three, there have only been two three peats. I want you to give me, I want you to give me uh, the two people who have a three peat and one additional guy who has more than three for his career. So you're giving me three players. Gotcha. Two of the guys who have a three peat. And like, one additional guy who has more than three in his career. I didn't add that last part in until I heard your question. Your question <laughs> was initially just the two guys who have a three feet. But yeah, after that, yeah. that you just pulled. I also want one more who has more than three in his career because there are only four guys who have more than three in their career. So All right. uh, let me get. I'm ready whenever you are. Well, yeah. I know I know Clemens is the one with more than three. So uh, right. I don't know if he's okay. three in a row though. Okay, your time starts now. Okay, does Clemens have three in a row? I'm not. I want you to get the three peats first, and then one additional guy who has. Smart of you. Yes. Um. All right. Let's see. So Clemens, Randy Johnson, Nolan Ryan, Kershaw, Tim Lincecum was really good for those couple of years. Pedro. Um. I got a funny feeling it's Tim Lincecum. Is that one? Tim Lincecum is not one of them. He does not have three. He only had the two back to backs. Strike one. See, I did not know if he had three. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think it's no – Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson is one of the three-peats. Okay. And then I don't think it's Pedro. Oof. 36 seconds left. don't think it's Clemens either. But I'll go Clemens. Clemens, I'll give him to you as your additional guy. But he is not a three-peat guy. So you got 25 seconds to give me the last three-peat. So you do have two strikes, though. I'm counting Clemens as a strike yeah. because for, towards the three-peat part, he did not. True. So I'm counting That's it as two strikes. That's fair. So I got one strike left. I'm either going Pedro, Kofax, or – You got 10 seconds to pick which one you want. Maybe Dwight Gooden. I'll go Kofax. It is not Sammy Kofax. He had – uh, 1963, 1965, 1966. Oh, missed 1964. The other one you actually never mentioned him at all. And not only did he three-peat, he four-peated Greg Maddox, 92, 93, 94, and 95. Whoa. And another nugget that I didn't realize until I researched this question you brought up Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan actually doesn't have a sign, right? Never won yeah. a sign. I was gonna, I actually didn't know that, which is why I was hesitant, but. Maddox won four in a row. Eventually, I would have gotten to him, but he wasn't on my mind of like guys. Yeah, he there there have yeah, there have only been two guys who have three peated, like I said, and both of those actually were four peats. Johnson went ninety nine, two thousand, oh one, oh two. Maddox ninety two, ninety three, ninety four, ninety five. 
plenty of guys have come close. Kershaw went 11, 13, 14. Koufax, like you, you had mentioned, 63, 65, 66. Even your boy, Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer went back-to-back, but he had a two-gap year. So a lot of guys who were close. Even Pedro that you mentioned, 97, 99, 2000, missed 98. Uh, so there was a lot of close ones. I was right there. I was swimming in the waters, but I couldn't. I couldn't yeah, really I mean, and, and I was one of your O's, Jim Palmer, 73, 75, 76. I was very surprised by how many near three-peats there were. Yes. And, and the fact that, again, there's only two, and they were both four-peats. So very my good. pick from earlier in the so day. Well the done. How about that? Have we ever had a week where the guests got one, but we neither of us got one? It's happened four times, so I'm sure it happened maybe once or twice. Probably. But- that was good by Orlovsky. He got those two quick strikes. I'm right like, at the I end. No, but he did see he 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 did what Joe Beninati. I hate to put him on the spot. <laughs> failed to do. Joe got two quick strikes, but he kept powering through. Dan yeah, played the game that. right. As soon as he got two strikes, he took his time like yeah. a guy who was ready to tap in a putt for birdie to win the Masters. Surveyed the field, channeling and he got his it inner done. tiger right there. Got it that done. He didn't. Run, he didn't run out the back of the end zone on it. No. <laughs> <laughs> well done. He did not. He did not. Well, yeah. Big thanks to Dan. We know how busy he is. You know, for able to call in, give us some great insight, and. Joe, this is the last episode we'll have to do without live baseball. Yes, and it's live the last one in the that counts. Well, yes, that counts. and the last one in the single digits too. Next one, episode ten. About the next that. one, like you said, we'll have we'll have baseball that counts. Yeah, we already have NBA ongoing, but also scrimmages. Yep. Um, so not episode ten, but episode eleven. We will have baseball that counts, hockey that counts, and basketball Ooh, that counts. Come yeah. on. And the golf just keeps getting better. Yes. We've got major championships yes. approaching, Joe. Yes. Oh, it's beautiful. August is going to be incredible. Going to be great. Well, as always, for my guy Joe Mouth, I'm PJ Glasser. Thanks again to Darren Orlovsky, and we'll see you for episode 10.